Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag. And I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right? I mean, no, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays a means floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get a mean in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tom, how much savory is too savory when it comes to dessert? Not possible, Kevin. You know when you get like that bin of cookies, chocolate chip cookies with a little sea salt on top? Mm-hmm. I'm the one grabbing the heavy sea salt cookie. But would you put a steak on it? Yeah. No, but I, I do like whenever there's a dessert on a menu that has a lot of savory in it, I'm in. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, episode six, 10 competitors left. We got a little sweet, savory dessert. We've got a trailblazing Texan women challenge. We have Cheryl Swoops at a table. That's pretty cool. Shouts to Cheryl Swoops. Yep, yep. Possibly the answer to, certainly in the GOAT conversation in the WNBA, it's Top Chef Houston. 
Tom, and we're getting a little, the field's starting to separate each other out. I'm starting to see some crooked numbers in our box score. Oh, wow. Top and bottom are kind of like stretching out where we're seeing more variants. Just want to get your first impressions as we go from 10 to 9. We've got some crazy stuff going on in Last Chance Kitchen, too, which you will catch us up on at the end of the show. Got some feelings about that, some editorial comment about that. Don't want to get to it. Don't want to bury the lead. But where are we now? Kind of inching toward halfway in the season. Yeah. Look, Ashley's back. Okay. Ashley's back, but not quite back because she almost got eliminated had it not been for the immunity. I was a little disappointed. We lost Leah. Leah in the last chance kitchen. Ashley returns and she doesn't even miss an entire episode. And so last chance kitchen, it felt a little light for me. The stakes on this season of Top Chef has felt a little light. And I know we were trying to save this for later in the show, but I mean, we kind of have to hit the whole fact that Ashley returns to this episode in the quick fire, right, Kevin? Look, Ashley's not cooking very well, which is sort of my thing. Right. Like like the story becomes a little less compelling because it wasn't it's not like flam going into last chance early or not early, like, you know, mid and then coming back like Ashley's, you know, Ashley's a little bit. I mean, she's up against the ropes. You know, she she, ha- she has a nice obviously we have the double immunity dessert, which which, by the way, I want to get to I mean, that. That's a high stakes. I like kind of a high stakes quick fire, Tom. I'm, I'm kind of feeling structurally a little high stakes quick fire. But um, yeah, and I also do want to talk about in, 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 in response to Ashley, like uh, when is too soon to come back into the competition? Like I, I, I'm a little bit. I, I'm a huge la- – I know there's some people who don't believe in a loser's bracket on Top Chef. I, for one, love – A, I love it as a production. I think it's the perfect digital TV element. I think like Bravo and the Elves and Top Chef deserve a huge – like this is exactly how to do your sort of digital companion. We've talked about that in the past. But it's a little early, little early to be getting – oh, and then open. Oh, by the way, not only do you come back, the loser doesn't even really go away. Like we're, we're, yes, everything is being there's a little participation trophyization of Top Chef lately, and I'm a little bit not entirely okay with it. Yeah, because the Ashley thing was she gets sent home and sent to Last Chance Kitchen, and she has to defeat two contestants in order to get in. Sarah and Leah, they both prepare two dishes. Well, at least. There was a part one where the three of them compete and the winner of that goes on to the next one and then one person is eliminated. So it's a one on one. And Ashley beats Sarah in that second one after beating Leah in the first one. And what I have an issue with is I kind of was rooting for Leah to come in and Mm -hmm. rooting for Sarah to come in. And when it was Ashley, it felt cheap. But then again, Kevin, what I'm saying to myself is. That seemed fair. Like it's, I don't want a top chef that brings in Leah simply because she's been gone for a while. Like to the rules, if Ashley wins, then Ashley wins. It just kind of stinks that like we didn't get any of that redemption story really because she got eliminated literally last episode and then she's right back into the competition as if she never left. If I wanted Leah back in, it's because I think Leah's probably a better chef at this point than Ashley, not notwithstanding her forgetting to gather salt. But we'll, we'll get to the last chance okay. kitchen later. Okay. I mean, this is, this is a great sports bar conversation about sort of the integrity of last chance kitchen of being eliminated and coming back. And I think those are important questions that the show needs to answer and we but need to answer. Quick fire. Yes. With our favorites, uh, Nini and Kelly. Kelsey are back. Yes, it's great to see them. Kelsey, the the maker of puppy chow, delivered 
directly to our homes as hosts a couple seasons ago, which I ended up consuming in about 45 minutes. 45 minutes? You mean 45 seconds? I mean, (laughs) but it's an interesting challenge. The 10 contestants are put into teams of two, one savory, one sweet. Uh, You are assigned an item. And then the two, the savory contestant and the sweet contestant, have to come together and create a dessert. Um, there was a couple odd things, like like I don't understand. Tom, can you explain to me why everyone needed to sprint to the gelato freezer to taste gelato? Not like you need to actually taste gelato to know the idea of salty sweet combination. Totally over my head on this one. They forced they forced the whole Talenti little forced sponsored quick fire and they were like tasting it and I was sitting there being like, wait, are they gonna incorporate the ice cream in the dish? Otherwise, why are they tasting it? Just to understand that you can have salt and sweet in the same dish. Like, just like you said, I got, I was very confused and I was starting to write in my notes like, oh, here we go again. The last episode we had the brisket challenge where they do none of the cooking of the brisket. And then for this one, for the quick fire, they had the ice cream. They had to create a dish with ice cream that was already pre-made, and then they took away the ice cream and had nothing to do with the actual pairing. They just had to do, you know, a sweet and uh, savory play. So they tried to work in the Talenti. I see where they were going with it, but it left me very confused initially, being like, "Wait, so now they have to put a dollop of this Talenti in every dish?" It was odd. Or are they only making gelato, which I thought would have been interesting? Could you do a situation? But then with the I guess there's not enough like variation in terms of, I mean, I, I actually probably think they've made the better call as producers just saying, hey, do any dessert, not just a gelato. Right. And they pair up and there was a little bit of my favorite schoolyard picking teams thing, just a, a little bit where Nick had, you know, he grabs pork rinds and he's, you know, looking around the room. And of course, Luke is like patting him on the shoulder, like, hey, like we got to go find a team. And Nick just like turns and he's just does not want to work with Luke on this one. And he p- pairs up with Ashley Obviously, a winning combination. Buddha and Luke, very, um, you know, Noma and then Buddha coming together. Team molecular, basically. You're right. Didn't surprise me at all. Um, Monique and Damar, not a surprise. Joe and Evelyn, who are our best pals. And then Jay and Jackson together. None of those really surprised me. And it was was good to see because those pairings did feel very natural. And if you wanted to pair these chefs together, that would make sense. I think you would see these pairings. Clearly, Luke is someone most of the contestants to avoid. And then Buddha is someone who doesn't really care who he's with. Yep. Right. Like, like that's my sense on Buddha is I'm kind of running the shows, particularly for a dessert where he has some confidence and he obviously have sort of the, the, the good friend combinations that have emerged over the first few weeks. Seem like Luke is a good sous chef. Like Buddha can just direct him what to do. And Luke is totally fine taking his lead. There were no bad desserts. There were five. And I think it was intentional. Uh, by the way, in terms of sort of the, the, the over niceness of this season, I don't have a problem with this. It was in fact, I was watching saying, are you just going to artificially put the least good one on the bottom? And, that, and to their credit, they did, right? Like they were, these were five really good desserts. The two that didn't even get put in the top three were Luca, uh, sorry, Luca, Buddha and Luke's miso honey cake with miso honey ice cream and miso honey caramel. Miso and honey are a great combination. Um, that looked really good. And then you had Jay and Jackson's rosemary poach pear with a pistachio cookie with that yummy salted creme fraiche. Like that looks great. Sounded great. Yeah. So those were the two kind of non-bottom bottoms, just they were fourth and fifth, but both uh, of great quality. Then you have the sort of uh, the second, third or third, second, 
Evelyn and Joe's salted almond banuelos with a peach and a lovely basil cream. Actually, I'm very grateful to Joe because I'm like it's getting to be berry season. It's coming up, you know, and like one of the things I'm starting to enjoy is just make your own whipped cream. And I usually just kind of shave some Meyer lemon or grate some Meyer lemon zest. But like, wouldn't it be cool to have like, you know, berries with like a basil cream. So I'm going to start doing that. I'm, I'm really excited about that. That was a yet another situation where Top Chef gives me some ideas. Joe with the basil cream. I'm going after that. And then Monique DeMar, corn ice cream. Kelsey loves herself some corn ice cream. Corn bread. That's right. Pumpkin seed and Parmesan crumble. Brilliant. And pumpkin curd. But Tom, the winner, Nick and Ashley. Yeah, this one, pork rinds and, and ginger snaps. Um, and they do a cake. It seemed like every step of the way, they they had great chemistry between each other, Ashley and, and Nick. They had a vision. They executed. Um, and I think when you look at the comment from Padma afterwards and Nick, I was a little confused again because they won the competition and Nick was like, I'm going to think twice about choosing my ingredients next time. And I'm like, no. Like pork rind was was it was the winning ingredient. Like it was a great choice. Yeah, you're doing fine, pal. Yeah. Like none of this fake humility. Like, no, that was that was actually a brilliant stroke, is that you got an off-the-wall ingredient that didn't always seem like a uh uh a, a dessert item, but it worked really well. So Nick, yes, you you picked pork rind and it didn't seem like a totally uh conventional pick there for dessert, but it actually won you that challenge. So keep going with the off-the-wall stuff. Look. Nick is really interesting this season. He wins this this quick fire challenge, and I noticed that he has been in the middle, Kevin, for six straight episodes. The entire season of Top Chef season 19 in Houston, Nick has been in the middle, not in the bottom, not in the top. And I actually wanted to look at look this up. Is has ever that happened on Top Chef, Kevin? Here's some Top Chef analytics. Has any contestant started out their season with six consecutive middle finishes, neither top nor bottom? It's had to have happened. Yeah, because, I mean, you're still a large field. I mean, there, I, I would imagine it's happened more than a few times, if it's, even if it's not common. Only happened once. Really? Chad White in season 13 of Top Chef uh, in California. Chad uh, was out two episodes later. He was in the top three in the seventh episode and then was uh, eliminated in the eighth episode that season. It really doesn't happen all that much where you have someone out of the gate being neither too high nor too low where Nick is. And so as a harbinger of of what's going to happen next – We'll see, but it is not a good sign historically if you're just coasting in the middle. Uh, so yeah, that's the top chef analytics of this week, Kevin. To your point, he now with the remaining nine chefs, he is ranked sixth in points total. Luke, Ashley, and Joe are behind him. He does well in the quick fire here, but in terms of his ability to wow the chefs in the main event, not always there. And also Monique, before this, Monique was a lot in the middle and she was in the, the bottom three last week and we'll get to her later. But Nick has come through with two straight quick fires, winning last the last one and then this one. Uh, he seems to be uh, the anti-Brian Voltaggio, winning the quick fires, but not really quite nailing it in the main event. So... Yeah, kudos to Ashley coming back after a very exhausting last chance kitchen coming in with a victory, but that tank ran empty 
for this elimination challenge, Kevin. What do we have here in the elimination? There are 10 chefs remaining and two chefs each are assigned to a kind of trailblazing Texan women. Um, a woman, we, we have Selena, pop star, who died in 1995. Babe Diedrichsen, who was not only a track and field stud in the early, uh, I think the 1930s, then ends up becoming one of the best female golfers ever. Um, Betsy Coleman, the first Native American female pilot and the first African American female pilot. Ann Richards, uh, who was just a classic figure of 90s politics, gave sort of one of the great ins one of the great insult comics of the Democratic National Convention in, in addition to serving as governor of Texas. Um, she was the one who famously said, you know, oh, poor George, referring to George H.W. Bush. He was born with a silver foot in his mouth. One of the great laugh lines from the podium. And then speaking of DNC famous speeches, Barbara Jordan, one of my favorite um, political heroes, um, Barbara Jordan gave a one of probably maybe one of the great keynote speeches of all time in 1976 um, at Madison Square Garden. Uh, I mean, she, she did this beautiful speech about sort of the reality of material and spiritual poverty. Um, it was one of these moments where the country was just in a really crappy place post Watergate. It's like the late 70s, the malaise. Um, that, that Carter would, would, would refer to after elected. Um, but she was like very damning of the present, but also like also very aspirational about finding solutions in the future. There's this great Andy Young quote. Andy Young was the mayor of Atlanta, my congressman when I was growing up uh, until John Lewis took the seat. Um, actually, no, Weich Fowler was in between there. But then he said, he said that he once turned, well, the first time he ever heard Barbara Jordan speak, he turned on the television and quote, it was like listening to the voice of God. And if you've never heard Barbara Jordan deliver one of these speeches, it's amazing. And, and then for me personally, like the thing about Jordan is like she was not out because people just weren't out in the 1970s or 80s by and large. But she was a lesbian, lived with a partner um, her whole life. And it was kind of known but not known. It was something that obviously people just didn't want to talk about in the 70s and 80s. Um, and, uh, so she was also pioneering in that respect. Like she was a, like well-known in, in political circles. She had a same-sex partner. She was Barbara Jordan, first black woman to serve in the Texas Senate, first black woman from Texas to serve in Congress. And, uh, yeah, so she's kind of, um, I'm a big Barbara Jordan fan. Um, really interesting political, also kind of huge rule of law person. She was a brilliant attorney. Um, Clinton had talked about maybe nominating her to the Supreme Court, but uh, her health started failing. But was also an, like an old school Democratic labor person who was, you know, kind of an immigration restrictionist. So she, she's kind of just a really interesting political figure. I thought that this was a really strong uh, elimination challenge theme. And it creates, Kevin, a lot of narrative in these dishes. And we like to talk about this is the balancing of narrative and actual food. Um, and some of the contestants here really paid tribute to their inspiration. I thought Buddha did an excellent job and also created really tasty, well-presented food. Um, but some people really missed the mark in terms of using that inspiration to construct a narrative that makes made sense. And I think even Jackson in this one, he got out his little notepad and he explained his connection of the, the hearts and the guts and, and his awful, right. That made sense. Cause he was almost like, 
there's almost a nod, a wink and a nod that like you had to really kind of reach a little bit to make that connection, but they appreciated that he went that extra mile to create that narrative. But for other people in this, I, I can understand how difficult that must be to take a political icon like Barbara Jordan and take that story and weave it into a dish. So what did you think about just the challenge itself honoring these trailblazing women and constructing a dish to pay tribute to them. Did you enjoy that aspect of this episode or did you feel like that was a little contrived? It's contrived, but that the contrived part of it is kind of part of the challenge because to your point about Jackson, I mean, look, oh, she was all heart and guts. I'll do heart and guts as a ragu, right? Like, like it's kind of ridiculous, but at the same time, like he knows how to do this, right? Like Jackson, you, you, if you overthink the narrative, you're going to end up with a freaking bean salad, you know, like Monique, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like out of a can, right? Is it contrived? Yeah. But no more contrived than, Hey, you're going to cook without a fire, right? Like, like that's the point of top chef is to create these kind of sand traps or limitations. And then you work within it. I mean, I think Jackson kind of knew like, yeah, I mean, it's all a little, Oh, I'm going to Barbara Jordan was all guts. Of course she was guts. She was a black woman trying to become a public servant in the freaking, you know, 1960s, 70s and 80s. Right. Like, so, but like there was just enough narrative there. Right. And so I think he played it right. Whereas Monique fell victim to, yes, let me make food. Nobody ever in the history of the world would ever want to eat because it happened to be native to the fifth ward of Houston. Like, like what? I'm sorry. That is just not, you know, like, hell, Barbara Jordan went to BU law school. Like, why not just do kind of a New England thing and that I mean that would have been just as cable and then like Evelyn who just kind of I, I thought did it perfectly and she won which was kind of stay like you know this is a like one of the leading great like Latina American pop stars um this is food she obviously knows well um Evelyn though actually she kind of more specialized in Southeast Asian flavors I'm just going to do something that is beautiful and in that realm and I'm not going to overthink it um you know I thought you know, Buddha did well. I'm going to use technique, which is my strength to make the oh, tribute. Man. Notes. Right. The ingredients themselves weren't very much about Betsy Coleman. I mean, so, so yeah, she was over, you know, she was over in Europe. Okay, fine. Oh, she was flying. She was flying. And he got the bird aspect, yeah, of course, exactly. the wings. And then the figure eight, like he, he, I pro I think he probably overdid the narrative a little bit. Um, but I love how clever Buddha is and consistently showing that he has that element, that strength in Top Chef. Um, and even though Evelyn does come out on top on this episode, I almost feel like Buddha consistently shows me skills that makes him the favorite going forward. And Evelyn winning with this dish. I mean, this was, I can understand why she got so emotional, Kevin, because it did feel like this spoke to her in a, in, at her core, her spirit and feeling like Selena was guiding her in this, in this episode. I mean, think about it of all of the contestants that she, or the, the, the women that she could have been chosen for. She gets the Selena one where she couldn't, she knows her entire discography, like front to back and used one of her favorite songs, the title of it to inspire her dish. And then Kevin, you nailed it. I am so glad you pointed this out. The Gregory Gordet of Evelyn is that consistently brings these flavors and elements to her dish and they win every single time when she does it. Gregory Gordet is a really great archetype for this show because he certainly has technical skills. It's, it's more five-tool player. I don't think there's any one, one particular trick in the bag that is so distinct. It's just an absolute versatility yet with the very central thing, I'm going to take heat. I'm going to take 
you know, sweet, I am going to take, like, he just, umami, and I'm going to assemble this dish, four or five component parts, they're going to be perfectly complementary. And and she very much, I think, exists in that Gourdet space. And I, I'm, I mean, Evelyn is becoming one of the great stories of this season. She is humble. Um, she is, I, I get the sense, competitive with herself. I mean, she's really, I mean, she puts pressure on herself to perform. I mean, it, it can be a source of inspiration. It can be a source of stress for her. Um, like she really wants to do well. Uh, and, and I, all of a sudden again, and I picked her kind of middle of the pack. So I'm not going to take any credit for identifying any particular talent, but she is kind of emerging, um, right now as, as a quasi favorite. Although I think you and I still have Buddha kind of is still the best best player on the board and i think by a pretty decent margin now um but yeah she's turning into second straight win in the elimination pretty amazing um buddha as we said let me i want to talk about buddha for a second because i don't think and and some of the judges alluded to it i don't know there's enough appreciation for the risk he took here not in terms of oh the crazy technique chicken breast is really tough to cook Mm. a chicken breast fillet for a large table is just now he did a sous vide basically he said he cooked it in a bag the only way i know how to make good chicken breast and i do it here a lot from the jelena travis let cookbook is i do an airline breast which is largely boneless breast with that little joint between the little baby leg and the in the breast but i brine it for six hours because it's the only way i know how not to dry out chicken breast and like to do, and everyone made a couple people made note of it I, I, um it, but it was that's an achievement. Like chicken breast is terrible food. It really is. Unless you're <laughs> sous vide, you got to do like big things to make chicken breast palatable. It just is. I mean, I know like the health conscious, it's high protein, low carb, low fat. Like it's a perfect food in terms of, I think, sort of the modern diet and what people who want to watch their weight do. But like it just isn't typically good um, unless there's some technique. So I, I just – I was shocked he did it. Like, just shocked. Because, like, why would you ever choose chicken breast if you have a huge pantry slash grocery store to choose from? It's just a protein that can kill you because it's dry inherently. All three of these dishes, and Buddha, you, you you hit on it, is that he took a big risk here in going with that chicken breast, but it tasted delicious. Then it was very strong on the narrative, but it was just good enough that he needed to, he was able to finish in the top three. Jackson. What I think I, – I actually didn't know what awful was. And so when he was describing it er- earlier, I was like, oh, I got to Google this. Um, so it's essentially just guts. Yeah, it's organ meat. Um, and I, I think even Cheryl swoops afterwards after eating it was like, wait, that's what it was? I, mm-hmm. I didn't know that I was eating organ meat. And that's just – it shouts to Jackson once again showing that he is not only just a great chef but he's able to construct the narrative and get the game of top chef and i thought this was a really good dish tom commended him for the pasta it's always a high bar for tom to for any contestant to clear when it comes to pasta executing the pasta for the chefs and he does a really nice job with the ragu and kevin he is of the last six episodes, he has finished in a top three five of those times, five of the last six episodes. He is just a juggernaut right now. And I don't think if you give uh, – if you if you have a big board of like, hey, these narratives or this elimination script, the prompt that he has to fulfill, I don't feel great about Jackson at any time when he gets the prompt and then he comes through and just hits a home run. Um, so he is just he is just continually overachieving any of my expectations every episode. 
Well, right, and I, I think his approach to this challenge explains why he does well in these elimination, right? Like, like we know that Jackson likes making pasta. You know, for all the, hey, conform to a certain narrative of this woman's life, at the end of the day, this is a free roll challenge. Let's just face it. It's a free roll challenge. You can bullshit. And by the way, like, like look at some of the chefs, you know, even who cooked non-bottom food. I mean, look, let's face it. Their, their tributes were BS, right? Well, like Jay. It was a wonderful moment, and she's clearly so indebted to Chef Leah Chase in New Orleans. I try not to be emotional for two days, but I'm sorry. It's okay. We're all yeah. emotional. I get it. She was the reason that I'm here, because she wrote me a letter for the visa so I could stay in America. And Chef Leah Chase used to tell me, if the gumbo is not right, she's going to punch him in my face today. I don't think you'll get punched in the face for that. But like, there was absolutely nothing about that dish that said Babe Diedrichson. I'm sorry, nothing, right? It was like, oh, she's an inspiring woman. Leah Chase inspired me. She's a woman. I'll do it. Like the, the, the transitive properties of tributes. Like, I, it, you know, and by the way, bless her heart. Like, I mean, you know, it was it was it was a beautiful moment. But like the reason Jackson does well is he's like, OK, this is a free roll. I want to make pasta. OK, so I've got this little thing. Barbara Jordan, right? Like I got I got to pay tribute to her something. Well, well, what, what might I do with pasta? Oh, you, you make a ragu. That's probably what I do best. OK, what's in the ragu? Something. Uh, well, she it's it's heart and oh perfect i mean like you can almost hear the very facile yet brilliantly facile reasoning that gets him to i'm going to make the thing in the world i'm best at making because this is top chef and that is the job whereas monique if we can talk about monique who went home well before you get to monique i just want to make a point that jackson's strategy is the snapback hat not the one size fits all. He's got the snapback hat where he knows he can fit it to any any story well said. because of the five trailblazing women, he knows they all have guts. Right. They all needed heart to trailblaze. Yes. Anyone who does that has to have that fortitude to get there. And so no matter if it was Babe Diedrichson or uh, Betsy Colmer or um, Selena and Richards, it doesn't matter. He can conform that dish into anything. And so I think that's a strategy you need to have where Evelyn does the same thing where she has her flavor profile and she's going to bring it on every episode and then work it, work it back. So I think Jackson is so good at just knowing his food and knowing how to change the narrative to fit. And he, he did a great job, but yeah, Monique, yikes. It's narrative gymnastics, right? Like, and, that, and that's what we're asking these players. And I'm fine with it. Like I, I'm actually, I'm not, the funny thing is I sound like I'm ridiculing Jackson and I'm not, I think it's brilliant. Like I think part of like hacking the show is part of the show. And when they give you these sort of convoluted, okay, here's this stranger, you know, nothing about, here's a Wikipedia <laughs> yeah. page, make a dish. The <laughs> answer is, is to find, of course, you said it brilliantly. Like it, it's, it's the, it's the adjustable hat. It is everybody who is a trailblazer by definition has heart and guts. So there you go. Right. Like, like there's something specific to Jordan. You could have, he literally could have made that dish, as you said, for any of the five people. That's right. Any of the five. And I don't know where Monique was going with hers, you know, like let's use some very, uh, tasteless ingredients to pay tribute to the ingredients that she would have available to her. And it was bland. And Ugh. Tiffany said it, it, it really honestly tasted like it was out of a can. Tom, does anyone ever in the history of the world said, I'll have the three bean salad? <laughs> yeah. 
why is that even a thing? And, and by the way, I like beans. Don't get me wrong. I like beans. Like beans done well or beans done well. But that slightly vinegary, like that three, that looked like the, like if that were, if, the, if that, there were 10 dishes and there was a buffet, are you even making room on your plate for that when there's like a lovely pasta in that gorgeous aguaviche, aguachile ceviche? And I mean, hell, even Luke's looked good. I'm a sucker for like, like, like rare cured salmon, even though I mean, we'll talk about that in a second. Like I would not have made any effort to get a, the saddest little half fried oyster. I mean, Oof, is this the sad, yeah. nobody wants, I mean, the first thing at the end of the day with this show is make something somebody might somewhere actually want to eat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll get to the bottom three, but let's get to Joe. She did the Thai Gulf shrimp. That was fine. A little sweet, but it was fine. By the way, fine is sort of a recurring theme for her. Fine, isn't it? Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. ButcherBox takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Not enough flavor. Can I tell you, I am so glad that Tom called out Nick on this one. The potato mushrooms... Too gimmicky for me. I didn't understand what that had to do with Ann Richards. I don't think it had anything to do with Ann Richards. It was just like, here's a little gimmicky thing that I can do. It made it sound like like she was always on shrooms or something. Like I don't <laughs> like I don't like which might have well she's she's a pretty wacky person. Maybe that was the case, but like it acted like it was kind of part of the Ann Richards thing. And I was like, I don't understand what her mushroom connection was. And that was sort of my confusion. It felt cheap. It it, it really didn't add anything to the plate. And Tom was like, you know, looking at at Kelsey being like like, what? And she was like, what, did, what does that look for? And and I don't think Tom really cared for the, uh, the cute, as he called it, potato mushroom play. Um, so Nick in the middle, I don't think he would have been in the bottom. Um, you know, he wasn't there in the middle because of immunity. He was just, it was just a meh dish. Who else was in the middle here? Jay, Jay with her seafood gumbo okra kimchi, which sounds great. And I think oh, the yeah. only knock was, look, I mean, I think gumbo takes, I mean, Hell, I mean, Tom, I make mine for hours and then refrigerate it overnight just to let it sit. Like, it's hard in two and a half hours to come up with a roux. 
to get all the flavors in there. It's a really hard dish to turn into two and a half hours to get the depth of flavor. And by all accounts, everyone loved the okra kimchi. No one had any issues with the gumbo. It just didn't have that depth of flavor. Tough dish to do in that time. Yeah, Nini Wynn, who's also the uh, she's a New Orleans chef. Who Jay, uh, also a New Orleans chef. You know, Nini made the point is just like, I mean, it was a good dish, but what about Babe Dijkson? Like, what what was that? And we had talked about it. It's like she's inspiring. I'm inspired by this other woman. Let me pay tribute to the other one. The transitive property of of tribute. A really cool story there with Leah. And no knock on that. And by the way, I'm hoping that comes up again. I would love to see like Jay. Jay's. I mean, Jay's has got a great story as a chef, and she's doing these pop ups in New York and this Cajun Korean fusion. Like, I'm actually really excited to do sort of like see Jay do the Leah Chase thing. This was an odd moment to choose it. But um, I'm actually very compelled by the story. I would not trade Jay from my team for anyone other than Jackson and Evelyn on your team. Interesting. I think Jay is a juggernaut in the making. I think she's going to really come strong in the next few episodes here. Um, and, you know, she's kind of been in the middle, but I really do think that she's going to blossom here. So I, I really like Jay going forward. I like her too. She is, I think... Other than Buddha, I mean, I, I think she's obviously, I mean, clearly the best player on your board. You know what's funny about Buddha? Buddha's at 22 points, man. That puts him like a very distant third, almost tied with DeMar. By the way, Tom, you need to get the little one exclusion column going because so we can see the true heft of these players. The overall points? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to get that. I got to do that. Yeah. I'm almost just curious because I, I do love looking at the, but like if, to your point about Jay is, um, yeah, I mean, she's, you know, you know, she's kind of what I thought Monique was, which is competent that she's not going to make a hell of a lot of mistakes. Like to the extent that she's not going to finish on top, it's like, hey, you know, the gumbo didn't have the depth it needed, but everyone still is very impressed with the components and the preparation. Damar also finishes in the middle with uh, Green Pasoli with a tortilla. Tom, another risk. Like mm. I was afraid for Damar when have you ever done tortillas before? And I think we've seen shift testants in the in the past several seasons kind of screw up trying to make tortillas like it's not an easy make and he was just like he is the he is a cool customer man like never made tortillas not gonna worry about it i feel like he's number one on my board if i'm gonna have a sous chef or a teammate he is just mm -hmm. he is so yeah. it's such a cool like you said very easygoing just he's always right down here he's never too high never too low and people have gotten skewered on this show chef testants have gotten absolutely bludgeoned when they try to do something for the first time on top chef especially this late in the game to do tortillas and shouts to magical elves for showing us this little um you know this piece of him where he was like i don't it's too stringy it's not coming together oh no oh no oh no and then it comes together. Like great little arc there for Damar. Uh, very happy for him that he got to complete that dish for the first time making tortillas. I mean, he's just such a cool customer. It is fun to watch. Though I will say, Kevin, Kevin, his narrative on this one that Pizzoli was is like family in a bowl. A little bit of a, a weak narrative there. I guess. But I mean, he did a traditionally Mexican dish. I mean, Selena family is very important for uh, like family is very important with Selena. And then this is like family in a bowl. I get, 
I, I guess, but it, it was a very inspired dish from the other side. Yes. Selena, self-identified Latina, it is like, it's the way to go, right? Like it is a, like, I will do a dish in that particular culinary tradition. Like, I don't, I don't know what else he does here. Yeah. Family in a bowl. Okay. I'll, I'll buy it. She also had a very short life. I mean, that's the thing. She had a very short life. I mean, and that's the other issue. So yeah, that's a tough one. All right. So that's where we're at. It's, it's Buddha Jackson and Evelyn with Evelyn with the W. It's Ashley who's got by the way, let's talk about Ashley for a second. On the, Tom, she just doesn't cook proteins well. It's a real problem. I mean, how many dried or, mm-hmm. or sort of like, again, I'm, I don't recall a chef that I've come in, you know, it's not like she's making bad decisions, right? It's just, I mean, what she did with the, the oversized daikon or whatever, but like, this is like she made candy pork that was dry. Yeah. And it was, it was a non-braised braise. Salt and vinegar potatoes that were unbalanced, you know, like the cook isn't good, like in terms of the, the actual cook process. She's a good chef who's a bad cook. And I and I don't know what you do about it. Yeah, it, it's been hard. But I will say, Kevin, she is coming to Charlotte on Monday and I will Ooh. be going to grab some of her. She's at Lee and Louise, which you have eaten oh, at. Oh, my favorite, Tom. Yep. Lee and Louise in Charlotte, North Carolina. She is doing a pop-up, little uh, uh, a dinner and a lunch where she's going to do her fish fry at, at, at the stand um, on Monday. I am definitely going to make my way over there for lunch. Um, and she's coming. And look, I'll give her credit. Kevin, in the history of Top Chef, if I had told you that a chef is going to present an okra-focused dish to Tom Colicchio in a do-or-die situation, I would have said, see ya, goodbye, Bad decision, not going to work. And she does it. She pulls off in Last Chance Kitchen. She has some guts. She was able to do that um, that okra dish. But like you said, there's no protein in there, Kevin. She was able to execute a non-protein dish, which I think is meaningful because she just hasn't been able to put that together in this season of Top Chef is cooking the protein well. And to your point, the protein she did execute well was a tartare. I mean, such as the kitfo. Now, going back to Leah and Louise, Tom, in my little meal log here, do you know what the – it was my favorite vegetable dish of 2021, the charred okra and tomatoes at Lee and Louise. The entree, pan-seared trout with smoked pecans and Veronique sauce. Leah and Louise was one of the great meals of the latter half of 2021 for me in Charlotte in that cute little complex. Yep. Tom, there's some, there's some stuff going on in Charlotte. I'm so jealous that you get to go see – Ashley kind of do her thing and, and kind of do her do her best stuff. So um, that's really cool that she's doing that. And now what what else is the, like? Give me the parameters of the events. It's just her doing a pop up. You get tickets? Did you? Are you just going to show up? Yeah, there, there's a ticketed dinner, a small ticketed dinner um, with with Ashley and uh, and Greg Collier and Sabrina Collier, who are the chefs at Leah and Louise. Um, and, and shouts to Greg, who's now a James Beard Award nominated chef. Um, for the Southeast and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to go to the Monday night dinner, uh, but I will be going over there for, she's basically taking her Asheville, um, fish fry pop up and doing it here in Charlotte and serving dish, serving lunch. So you, you go and you take out, um, in a, in a box, uh, her, her dishes. So I'm going to go hit that up. 
Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that that dinner is already sold out because that is, um, I mean, she's right now one of the biggest stories in Top Chef, having been eliminated and winning the immunity here. Um, uh, you know, I'm really excited to see her and meet her. And I, I will give her kudos for doing an okra dish for Tom Colicchio and surviving to tell the story. Um, but she has not been, she's not been, let's put it this way. Glad she got immunity. She might have been eliminated this episode if she had she not gotten immunity with Nick in this one. And I think she kind of knew it there. Was she was getting emotional there at the at the judges table um, when Padma was giving the feedback to her, and she's like, "Yep, I need to hear this." So she doesn't go home. Monique goes home. And one little note on on Luke is again with the seaweed. It's acting like this is like the only ingredient that he knows how to incorporate. And it doesn't serve him well. Like every time he does it, it doesn't do well. So what is it with Luke and seaweed, man? I mean, first of all, I don't like that those dainty servings you get at some of these like Northern European restaurants. Like, <laughs> look, I don't need every meal to look like I'm eating in Omaha where you get these like, mat, like, like steaks hanging off the plate. Yeah, but like yeah. it does bother me. And, you know, and when I've done some traveling. It's like, come on, I'm here to eat. Like, I'm not here to graze. And, like, there weren't, like, like you're cooking for 12. You, there, amount, like, in terms of a chocolate fudge, it is no harder to make more of that than it is easier. It's not like you're apportioning out chicken breasts or something. Like, that dainty ass little I cooked in Copenhagen plate. Like, I'm sorry. It's just, it doesn't, it's not, it. it's, it's beautiful to look at, but it doesn't get, it doesn't get your mouth watering. And, and look, the barely cured salmon, I mean, it's not cured if it's like too – like I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> it's something else. The textures are always great on his dishes. But if there's not enough of it, it I don't know. I, I just He frustrates me because he's a great technical chef. But I'm like – look, I like Nori as much as the next guy. But get over your weird-ass fetish for seaweed. <laughs> yeah. It's so bizarre. It's a nice complimentary. It's got some nice brine. It's a really cool ingredient, especially if you're in sort of – you know, if you cook with a lot of Japanese influence, but like, geez, man, like get like, like it, it, stop trying to make fetch happen. Stop trying to make seaweed happen. It's not like the judges have repeatedly told you they're uninspired. They don't find it as creative as you creative. Like take no for an answer, man. He's struggling. Um, I thought it was a really interesting backstory. His, his battle with dyslexia and how difficult some of these challenges have been when he has to, you know, do research or, or look at a Wikipedia page and, and, and fully comprehend what he's looking at in a time short span, uh, in a short time span. But when you're, when you're Luke in this competition, it's a fundamental mistake to say, I'm going to cure salmon in two hours and expect the judges not to notice that that doesn't, that doesn't cut it. You know, it's hard to do things that take 15 hours, 24 hours to do it in 30 minutes. I mean, that's just the baseline top chef, 101 is understanding those 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 restrictions. One of the great virtues of this show is like you cannot fool these people. Right? Like like like, like Tom Padma and Gail cannot be fooled. No, to say nothing of the other chefs who are up there as judges and guest judges. Like it is one of the great things. Like you cannot flop in this competition, right? And and get the call. You just can't. Like it's one of the great features of this show. So anyway, I don't want to bag too much on Luke. Again, I I like conceptually it's fun to watch him work he's a really interesting technical chef it's just some of the choices are just strange and too clever by half and that's where we are the only thing is look 
the judges, the judges in this episode, we had, you know, Selena's sister and drummer. We had Cheryl Swoops. We had Lauren Anderson, Lori Choi, Ann Richards' daughter, Cecile. And then you had Christine Ha. We've been looking for some critiques because this season, Kevin, has felt a little too safe, a little too nice. And thank goodness for Cheryl coming in and saying, We have to be honest and you have to be able to say your baby is ugly. (laughs) I loved that because it was like, again, to your point, it was so refreshing to see someone just... You know, like, again, I don't need Waldorf and Stadler every episode, but I I just miss some of the zingers. I miss some of the insult comedy. Um, This is a competition show. And again, and and I understand the tenor of this episode was intended for a certain purpose, but but I I just would like to encourage the producers like like it's a competition show and it is starting to feel a little soft. The 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 trophy participationization of the show is, is I think a little bit has gone a little farther than it needs to. Um, I understand you don't want to and you know, we have this great conversation with Gail during the off season like you don't want to kind of manufacture conflict. But I also wouldn't mind seeing contestants casted who might be um, like Claudette, like like who might be inclined to conflict because in the heat of the kitchen, they get a little snappy or they get a little aggro and that's okay. I mean, you know, we lo- look, it, we, you, Tom, you and I cover the NBA, right? And, 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 and it gets, it gets fierce out there. There's trash talking. And by the way, at the end of the games, they exchange jerseys and yeah, 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 they'll, they'll, they'll dap each other up. And it was a great thing. You know, like Draymond is, is wonderfully fraternal with the community of NBA players, Draymond Green. And he's also just a total dick um, within the context of the game. You don't need all of that, but I just, um, and, and the other thing is I, I will say that it would be one thing if the caliber of chef, of the median chef, the like fifth or sixth best chef on the show were much better than it was in previous seasons, six, seven, eight, nine. If you go back, I don't know that the caliber of cooking is wowing us. In in other words, if you sacrificed a little conflict for the sake of just look, man, we're just getting a bunch of people out there who every dish, like, Hey, there are no bad dishes on the, on like, you know, that was some of the things with some of the all-star seasons, Tom, is even with like eight or nine chefs left on the board, there often wasn't like a real clunker. Like you'd be on the bottom with something that was pretty damn good. And we're not seeing that, right? Like like if you if the caliber of chefs were so off the chart good that it warranted kind of champing down the conflict, it would be one thing. But I just feel like, look, as I always say, Tom, even bad top chef is really good. But I just feel like this season, it's missing either some tension, transcendent cooking. Again, we're not seeing outrageously great stuff across the board. We get one or two wows an episode. And I'm getting a lot of just that that nice music. I want a little of the, you know, that little scrap they have, like, going into commercial when, like, something's, like, going wrong. Like, I just feel like there's there's less tension each episode than I would like. It crystallized for me, Kevin, in the Last Chance Kitchen with with Ashley and Sarah. They are cooking for their life, so to speak, in this this competition. The winner of the Ashley versus Sarah Last Chance Kitchen episode goes on and returns to the show. The stakes couldn't be higher. You're either eliminated from the show and you're not coming back or you're basically, you know, returning to to the show, right? Big stakes. And there's a train going by behind me. Yeah, but I like that when there's trains going on behind me. Yeah, a little texture to the show. Yeah, a little texture. They swapped stations and Sarah had to cook with 
Ashley's ingredients only on the, her station. And then Ashley had to cook with only Sarah's ingredients. And what happened was Sarah had to cook with okra, which is Tom's le- biggest pet peeve. The thing he cannot eat, his Achilles heel when it comes to food is he hates okra. He hates the sliminess of okra. And Ashley did the impossible. She was able to give Tom Colicchio a okra dish that he really enjoyed, really enjoyed. Part of that is because he, she just made the, the seeds and she didn't cook. Uh, she didn't have the actual okra in there and the sliminess. She was able to avoid that. But here's what happened. Sarah had never cooked okra before or didn't know how to prepare it. And she turns to Ashley and says, I don't really know what I'm doing. Can you help me? How do I cook okra? Tell me what Ashley said and I'll tell you what the correct answer is. She gave her the pointers. She held her hand essentially and told her, here's how you cook okra. Here are the do's and don'ts. If you want to avoid slime, do this, do that, don't do that. And there goes Sarah. She goes off and she creates a good okra dish for Tom Colicchio. I'm sorry, Kevin. What should have her response been? The response that Ashley should give her direct competition, literally the the person standing between her and total elimination or whatever, or, or, or going back in the competition, actually it wasn't total elimination. We'll talk about that too, is, oh, you don't know how to cook okra? Let me, let me tell you how to cook okra. You, you, you first cut off the tip. And then you stick it up your ass. That's how you cook okra. <laughs> like this is a competition show. That's the correct answer. I'm not yes. giving you the freaking – you're not going to look at my paper during the exam. You're my competition. Oh, I'm sorry. You don't know how to cook okra. Yeah, well, I'll be seeing you at the reunion show, babe. Like that's the correct answer in a competition show. What happens is is drama comes out of competition and stakes, right? And when you attenuate – those stakes by saying, hey, we're all in this together, you kind of ruin a little bit of the drama. Yeah. I'm DeAndre Jordan. How do you hit a free throw? Because we're down one. Oh, oh, okay. Come over competition. Oh, yeah. Let me show you how to hit a free throw. How do I defend this pick and roll with Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry? Oh, here's how you do it. Because, you know, what we're trying to make you do is do this, but actually you should do yeah, this. You want to talk lop him, like push him off the line into get him off the three. Like, like, in what world? I mean, bless Ashley's heart. She's a good – she's clearly a better-hearted person than I am. I just – this is a competition <laughs> show. You know, I'm not giving you shit about how to cook a stem of okra. By the way, I think that what I do to prevent the sliminess is – and someone taught me this once – is I roast the okra in the oven a little first before then I kind of sear it in the pan. And that's how I get the uh, the slime out of it. Um, that's just uh, – that is just some a pointer someone gave me because I do love okra. Uh, I, I share Ashley's absolute love for okra. I love it pickled. I love it stewed with tomatoes. I love it fried. I love it like I I love what she did with the seeds in that in that in that opening uh, Top Chef uh, Last Chance Kitchen challenge. So uh, that is, that I think is the answer. I don't you know, but that's how I do it. It was one of those moments on Top Chef with Sarah and Ashley where I just wanted a little bit more Marcel there or a little bit more Stefan yes. from a few years ago is just, no, go F yourself. I'm here to win. I'm not here to, to raise your floor while I'm in the middle of cooking this dish in like two and a half minutes and I got to like teach you a class on how to cook okra. And like, I appreciate the camaraderie and the and the whole we're in this together to an extent. And I think this goes back to in the NBA how I think in the social media age and not to go all curmudgeon on you and back in my day. Oh, you can go curmudgeon on me. Yeah, please. This is – do not apologize. I think there is a, an element of there is 
um, everyone likes each other's photos and there is such a big effort in chefs in Instagram that they're all supporting each other. And it happens with top chef too, is there's a real like community, right? And it really is like, after you do top chef, you go on these tours and you do all these events with fellow contestants and chef testants. And I do think that some of that, it's not fake support, and liking each other's photos and commenting with like hearts and, and emojis. I just think in the NBA, it happens too, where it just, it does feel like they're in it not to win this game. They're in it to build a relationship for the long term. To collectivize their brand. Yes. Collectively. And, and that's it. So that we can have these four person dinners. And by the way, I don't, like, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. Like, look, I always love the scenes back at the house after a long day of prep for the next competition and everyone can have a glass of wine. It's just a question of like, again, going back to what you and I have experienced, right? Like during the heat of the game, it is Hard, it is trash talk. It are hard fouls. And then when it's over and the horn sounds, everybody gives each other a hug or a dap. Like, I'm fine with that, right? But I'm with you. I think there's something to the top chef industrial complex, right? Like that something's happening where we, you know, everyone is on Instagram, you know, pumping it. And, and again, I, I think that's great. I, I would listen next time a top chef threesome or foursome or fivesome from through the ages comes and does an event in Los Angeles. Like I'm there. Like I'm all for that. But I think you, you've hit on something, right? Saying so, you know, the social media you know, everybody's harding and thumbs upping and liking everybody's posts. Because it's good. It's good for business to do that, I think. It's good for business. It's good for business. I caution to go too far on this, but I do think that there is an element that we're missing here where everyone, like malarkey on this episode, would would create chaos if we had someone who is not even just a, not a heel like we've talked about, but just someone who's a little off that, that, that creates that drama. Um, and, and I remember a few years ago when there was that, well, I forget his name now and it's escaping me, but there was a chef that came back and he was an older chef and no one really cared for him. And he was the oldest chef in the competition and was kind of like, no one really liked him all that much, but it did create some drama. And I think we're losing that. It does feel like all of these chefs really love each other, genuinely care for each other. And I think we've fallen too far on that end of the spectrum. And I do think we should pull back a little bit and get some more of that drama, not because we we want fake conflict, like Gail says, we don't want to manufacture conflict, but some genuine conflict, I think, would be a real virtue for this show. I also want to make a new rule too, and I think this is part of the Top Chef Industrial Complex. And God, this is just turning in. This, I apologize that this that our episode of Packing Your Knives turning into a little bit of a just carp fest. But I think part of the Top Chef Industrial Complex is that, like, it is a little clubby in the sense that, like, let's take Nini, who, by the way, I drafted like first or whatever. Oh, don't go at Nini. No, don't no, I'm do gonna it. Go at Nini. No, I'm not going at Nini. Nini was eliminated in Restaurant Wars, and and so she was middle of the pack, and then she gets named an all-star, right? And even in all-star season, she crapped out pretty early, right? Like, prestige should be granted to chefs within the Top Chef community based on performance. So one of the reasons the stakes might not be as high is you can finish eighth or ninth and still be part of the club. You can still do events and like, and that's fine. I just feel like, do you know what I'm saying? Is I think like, like Nini's essentially been inducted into the hall of fame based on an eighth place finish. And what was her in 17 and the all-star? What, 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 what place did she finish? Cause I drafted her. Yeah. She didn't fit. She finished 10th. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So she basically, so let me understand something. A chef who has what an eighth place finish and a 10th place finish, or did she come back in, um, 
through Last Chance Kitchen or whatever. No, she she was actually in her episode in her season. Nini was uh, an early flame out. She was twelve, but she she was she won twice, Kevin. So she was, it was a weird thing where Nini was coming out as the, the odds on favorite after three episodes. Cause she won the previous two episodes and then she was out in the fourth episode. And so, yes, she was eliminated early, but to, to be played devil's advocate here is that kind of felt like a little bit of a, um, maybe a Greg Oden or Grant Hill situation where she was such a big talent in producing it's just she got eliminated early she had her chance to vindicate herself on the in front of the, and she was a front of the house uh she was a front of the house elimination right and then she count, comes back for all-star and she she was out in episode six yeah my point is that you can basically be a middle of the pack eliminatee and yet find yourself judging contestants Two seasons. Because she's awesome. Or no, no, I agree. Is, she's yes. awesome. My point is, is but the but my point is, is this is this is sort of our conversation we're having here. Is the uh, I'm sorry. Is awesomeness is is prestige going to be granted on how likable you are, or how charming you are, or is it how you perform on in the actual game? And I think that that's sort of part of the if the if the stakes don't seem as high anymore, and that's why it's not as competitive. It's because oh, I'll finish eighth and still turn this into uh membership or, or or sort of knighthood in the top chef world and like that's sort of what i'm saying is i do feel like to your point i love that top chef has become a like kind of a larger community and it sounds but it's also it has sort of diminished i think the prestige of actually kicking ass and maybe that's like a hyper competitive you know, point of view. I, I just, I'm missing something from current Top Chef. And what I'm missing is just the, the notion that if you finish sixth or seventh, you go back to your little home and you'll have a perfectly decent career as a chef on your local scene. But that if you truly want to leverage this opportunity into something bigger, you better be on that plane to that destination in the final four. That we're not going to just give lend prestige to a chef who, whoops, I'm out in the eighth place, or I get eliminated in week mm, five. I oh, hear what you're saying. Welcome back. You're a judge now for, frankly, chefs who are probably more talented than you are. And I love Nini. I love <laughs> Nini. Nini is. I, I picked her uh, to my detriment in like one of the early rounds of seventeen. But my point, Tom, is we're at a juncture of the show where you are basically handing out participation trophies. Oh, you're an early eliminatee. Welcome. You are part of the the knighthood that used to be reserved for fanat- like Brooke Williamson is a god. Brooke Williamson is a badass. That was she is a potential goat, right? Like she is she she is she is one. She has a ring. when she's been to multiple finales like that woman has earned her right into this prestigious inner circle i'm sorry somebody look bless kwame seems like a hell of a dude like has he had any sustained success in this show as a contestant okay so then what is he doing here like that that's my question yeah and i just feel like the show is cheapening its prestige and i say this not because i don't like top chef i say it 
because Top Chef is the greatest competition show ever to grace reality television, and they're cheapening it a little bit, a lot of it. And I would, and I'll also point out to this little wrinkle in the Last Chance Kitchen is, you know, Ashley got to come back after not missing at all one iota of an episode, and Sarah's still in the game. So it's, you know, again. The stakes just feel so much lighter these days is, is not only is there Last Chance Kitchen, but we're having multiple rounds of Last Chance Kitchen and the winner of Last Chance Kitchen. Now we have a literally a Last Chance Kitchen for the Last Chance Kitchen. You lose the one-on-one and you still are alive. That's right. And and I'm just waiting for like Leah is actually going to be re-entering the competition. Like they, that's where we're at, where it does feel like when you get nervous watching this show where, oh, my God, who are they going to send home? Like, oh, my God, they sent Monique home. Like, oh, I loved Monique. She was oh, so, she'll be back. But is she gone? She's not gone. It's the play-in tournament, right? Where the NBA, I, I love the play-in tournament. I, I think it's good for, as an anti-tanking initiative, but there's no tanking in Top Chef, right? So I love the aspect of there's a loser's bracket, but it does it does feel like it's been cheapened a little bit when Ashley comes back on the show and they got to like do the fake like, oh, I can't believe Ashley's back. I haven't seen you in so long since the, the last episode. There's no way I'm going to stop watching Top Chef. I mean, I will watch Top, Top Chef season 57, right? It's just I wish we can get back to a little bit more – it's too nice. It's too nice. It's too nice. The state, and I think one of the reasons we've hit on is too nice is it's not competitive enough because you'll be back. I, I'm, I like you. I love the Last Chance Kitchen. I love that there's a loser's bracket, largely because sometimes the elimination is too punitive. You know, these team competitions where your partner screws up and the next thing you know, you're in, you've cooked one of the best dishes of the day or you've done nothing wrong. I love that there was some corrective measure for sometimes what can be a really capricious process. And I think that's really cool. What I'd like to see Lax Chance Kitchen do is go back to, I think, the way it was early on, which is, hell, if you're out, you got to work your ass back. Like there's no multiple, oh, guess what? Someone's back in now and someone's back in. Like you've got to kind of go through the entire loser's bracket. If you get eliminated, when there's 15 contestants, you got to win 10 in a row to get back as you're going in at number five or six or whenever they want to reintroduce that contestant into the competition. You and I both agree on that. I just think that you're right. The stakes right now in the show, when you combine with the congeniality, and I love these chefs, but they're too nice. We need a few, we need a, we need a few just kind of cantankerous curmudgeons. We need a few. It's not top scallop, it's top chef. We needed some Claudette. I want some bus throwing. I want some, you know, because you know why? And the reason people throw people under the bus is the stakes are high because we're going down because of you. But the problem is, is when you go down, I know you can come back. You know, like it's just it's this is my critique. I love Top Chef. I want to I beg everybody's pardon for letting me rant tonight. I just feel like the show with each passing season's gotten a little softer. And I just miss the good old days where when you went home, you were going back to obscurity there's so much at stake here. If you truly want to be a special Top Chef alum, you better be on that plane to the finale. All right, Tom, Kevin, can we settle down a little bit? This is a television program that we all enjoy. I'm a producer. I am thinking about the audience, what the audience wants, and you want to create a community. You want to have people coming back year after year. It's not about who's the best chef. That happens all the time. We got plenty of shows where they do that. They go heads up. Also, like you say often, Kevin, no one gets to taste the food. So 
we're relying on other people's opinions anyways. Why not have those people given those opinions be more fun? Why not have this top chef culture, this community that people can join and come back year after year? That sounds fun to me. The issue here, though, is that you, you're sacrificing a little bit of the content, too, because the content needs that conflict. It needs people to play, you know, to just be a little nastier to each other. And to your point, Nini is a delightful character on this show. She didn't perform well in either of her two seasons. She did get those two wins. But to me, the issue is, Kevin, and I'm wondering if you feel the same way. It used to be you were in it to win Top Chef. You were in it to be named top chef. And now it feels like you're in it to be a lifetime member of the top chef community. You're on top chef to cultivate your brand, irrespective of where you finish. And that's not a top chef thing. That's an everything thing. Hey, it's, it's an NBA thing. I mean, it, it's a journalist thing. Any field now that has any sort of public profile, it's about the cultivation of brand, of personal brand. And I think that's what's going on. And in this sense, top chefs like the rest of the world. But you're right. Like it used to be I will demonstrate what a badass chef I am, and then I will parlay it, that affirmation into opportunities like, say, Brooke Williamson, right? Now it's, I'm going to gather as many social media followers during the 16 weeks this show is on the air, and I will then use that to sort of further, I'll be at the cool kids table and sort of the young, telegenic chef community and doing a lot of cool stuff. Kevin, isn't that just a symptom of the culture? and especially the reality TV culture that we have? Yes. If I go on The Bachelor, am I looking to get married to a random woman selected by ABC? <laughs> I don't know, Maze, are you? <laughs> or am I looking to go on, use it as a platform to show off my dynamic personality and my charming good looks, get my own Bachelor season, Go to Bachelor in Paradise, you know, live it up at a resort oh, wow. and then be a D-list Bachelor celebrity for eternity. Doesn't that sound a lot better than getting married? It does, except now you're buying a derivative instead of the real thing. And do you know what happened to economies of culture where derivatives become a thing? That's the thing. Like It's a derivative. It's not the thing itself. And that that's my issue. What I'm saying is I think the reason why we love Top Chef is because it's not The Bachelor right? It takes high level cuisine. It takes an intellectual level of, of cooking that makes, that differentiates it from the bachelor, which feels very trivial, which feels very, I don't know, uh, just fake Tom. Yeah. Just very surface level, right? It's like superficial. Top chef is not that it did feel like top chef was the place where you were you were watching a meritocracy of a competition show where the best chef wins. And that is the goal. The singular goal of being on, on Top Chef is to win it all. And that is at the heart of that competition. Now it feels like, and maybe you're right, this is not a symptom of Top Chef. This is a symptom of culture and about social media and branding and all of that in 2022 that it's almost impossible to have a Top Chef without contestants trying to broaden their brand in that 15 minutes of fame. And again, that's not something that can even be monitored or policed or regulated. All I'm saying is to the extent that the institution of Top Chef itself confers prestige upon a chef, it should be based on their winning competitions. 
on. And, and then, of course, I'm all for an expanded community. I mean, I love it. Like Tom is going to a pop up today for a chef that might very well get eliminated soon. I, I think there's nothing. I love that. And and I think that's that's great. It's just there's a there's a certain I, I think everyone is trying to be nice so that they, they can rush the right sorority or fraternity. Right. Like everyone is sort of playing nice because, ooh, like if I meet the right friends here, I'll get invited back to the show to be a judge, even though I was a decidedly mediocre contestant. Yeah. And and this happens in our profession, too. Oh, sure. It happens in every workplace. And so this is all constructive criticism. This is what we call tough love here on Pack Your Knives. And I'm glad we have Maze to kind of bring us back here a little bit with some pushback on this because it does help clarify some of our thinking is like it does feel like we're all working towards the same goal as making great tv it's always valuable to have the opinion of someone who doesn't watch the show chime in every once in a while and balance you two diehards out that's my role here (laughs) no we are grateful kevin you have just dominated me this season evelyn with her second win two wins in a row she's got 30 points in our scoring system on your fantasy team and jackson five of the of the six episodes he has finished in the top three he does not win this particular episode but he's got 31 points and you know I still believe in buddha he's been very strong he was in the top three this week again um he is someone that I feel super confident. He was he won three episodes ago. He was in the high up. He was in the top three last episode. Top three again here, but right now in the scoring system, it is a blowout city. One hundred and one for Team Kevin to fifty for me and Maze. I am sorry. Do you want to have a eulogy here for Leah? I was rooting for Leah. You had convinced me. Pulled me. Uh, uh, I had gone across the aisle. And said, I'm going to root for Leah now. And she was eliminated in Last Chance Kitchen. You have only two points. Oh, Tom, you think she's done? You think this is the last we're going to see of Leah? She's coming back, man. Come on. Who are we kidding? You can't kill her. She's already been eliminated twice. She'll be back. (laughs) Kevin's been talking about how they just keep handing out second chances. She might be judging the finale. You never know. This isn't Squid Game. She didn't get gunned down in red light, green light. It's going to be like Angels in America. They're just going to kind of like bring her down from the ceiling. Exactly. From the rafters with flowing robes, glowing, backlit. Exactly. And she will pass judgment. This is the season of Leah. Come on. Let's not fool ourselves. You haven't seen the last of my girl and you haven't heard the last of me either. Okay, fine. Tom, any, any closing thoughts on what became kind of a little bit of a rant fest? But we speak out of love for the Magic right. Elves, Bravo, Top Chef team, not out of malice. We want what's best for the show. We are we're absolutely devoted. But I, you know, and it did descend a little bit. But do you have any closing thoughts here? Yeah. Last thing is, uh, we should play out the rap from Ashley. What a bizarre moment! I had never seen that on Top Chef. I think it was a Top Chef first. Is that she dropped some bars for the community? Top Chef, Top Chef, tell me what's next. Maybe quarter million dollars with my name on the check. I'm here for the crown. Ain't no sense in getting down. Biscuits crumble, watch me fumble. I see the day of dawn, pass the baton. Last chance, kitchen got another chance at winning. Y'all best believe I'ma put my all in it. Ay. Ashley, well done, well done here. By the way, very reminiscent of Insecure season one, Issa Rae, a show I love. And uh, that was sort of uh, Issa's thing in the first season is she would kind of be in the bathroom mirror dropping rhymes. That is what she would do. And that was sort of, they got away from that convention in later seasons, but she would do that 
you know, routinely in, in, in the in the first season of, of Insecure. Ashley, you got the double immunity in this episode. We want to see you back and performing at a high level. I would love that story arc. So I'm rooting for you, Ashley. I'm going to eat that dish on Monday. I'm excited for it. Uh, and anyone in the North Carolina or in North Carolina or in the Charlotte metro area, definitely go hit up Lee and Louise and also hit up that pop-up for, for Ashley on Monday. So Kevin, I hope that we're going to get some more drama in the, in the future. Joe Flam is back next, next week and on the show. I'm excited. We saw that in the preview and there is going to be hopefully uh, a surprise in the next episode of pack your knives. So we'll see about that. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm playing from behind here, Kevin. I am really, I'm really, I, I need Buddha to come through. I mean, I still think Buddha's is the best player on the board. So we'll see for Tom Haberstrow for producer, Anthony Mays. This is Kevin Arnabitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.